This is the Adult Explore the Bible Weekly Leader Training Podcast. This podcast is designed to help teachers prepare to lead a Bible study group using LifeWay's Explore the Bible adult resources. Each week, we review the Bible passages for that week's study, examine some questions teachers may face, and give some teaching tips along the way. During the spring of 2023, we're going to be looking at chapters 12 through 21 of John. I'm Dwayne McCrary, your host, and I'm being joined by Amber Baden, who is our co-host. Last year, I made the transition to manager of the adult ongoing Bible study area, and that began the search for the next team leader of Explore the Bible, which led us to Amber. And so the spring 2023 resources served as the transition with her taking on all the team leader responsibilities. Now, just to let you know, the rest of the Explore the Bible team stayed intact, and I will continue to be available to assist the Explore the Bible team when needed, but I'll do so in a different role. But Amber, we welcome you to the Explore the Bible team and to the weekly podcast. Thank you so much. I am uh, honored to be here and glad to uh, be on this team with you all. Our guest today is Bob Bunn. Bob is a familiar voice to our Explore the Bible leaders and listeners. Uh, Bob is edits the material for leaders uh, on the team. He's a content editor. He's been with us for a while. So, Bob, thank you for being with us today. Always happy to be here, Dwayne. We're going to be looking at this first session. We're going to be looking at John chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. The title of the lesson is, Why Wasn't This Sold? The summary statement is that Jesus is worthy of our worship as the promised Messiah, the Son of God. And here's the outline that we're working from for this study. Verses 1 through 3 of chapter 12, we've entitled Honored. In these verses, what we find is prior to the Passover, Jesus was hosting, what we find in these verses is prior to the Passover, Jesus was hosted for a dinner in Bethany that included Lazarus. As Martha served, Mary anointed Jesus' feet with perfume, wiping them with her hair. The main point is that for us as believers, we should respond humbly and honor Christ as our Lord. The second section is questioned, which is John 12, 4 through 8. In these verses, Jesus questioned the actions of Mary, pointing to the poor being fed with the proceeds from the sale of the perfume. John noted that Judas's response was motivated by greed and thievery. Jesus affirmed Mary's actions, explaining that unlike the poor, he would not always be with the disciples. The main point for us is that we should affirm others who worship Jesus. The last section, verses 9 through 11, we've entitled Division. In this section, a large crowd of Jews gathered to see Jesus and Lazarus. The chief priests decided they needed to not only kill Jesus, but also kill Lazarus, since many believed in Jesus because of Lazarus being raised from the dead. The main point here is that believers honor Christ by testifying to others about his work. So that's a quick look at the study, the outline for this week. Uh, Bob, let's deal with this first question here. Um, How do we account for the timing with the other gospel accounts, uh, the timing of this event taking place? Right. Yeah, because there's a there's a very similar incident that occurred in in Luke chapter seven uh, that were it, it causes some confusion. And some people actually think that that maybe it's the same event that was recorded chronologically different for whatever reason. But I think there's an argument to be made that, that these are really two separate events, that there was two anointings. Um, some even 
I even argued that there might have been three, but there's probably at least two, one in one in Luke 7 and one here in John 12. And and we know that because of, of some of the things. There are some similarities. For instance, they both occurred in the home of a man named Simon. Um, and they both, in both, uh, both instances, Jesus was anointed with precious oil or, or perfume. So we have those kind of similarities, but there's enough difference there to kind of help us understand that that these are probably two separate things. For instance, the Simon in Luke chapter 7 is clearly identified as a Pharisee uh, who had invited Jesus in. The, the, the Simon in John chapter 12 isn't. He's, he's identified as a leper, probably a healed leper, maybe one that Jesus healed. Uh, and so it, the chances of him being a Pharisee at any point was probably uh, slim to none because of the, the rules of Pharisees back then. Uh, you wouldn't have had a Pharisee with with, with leprosy, especially hosting a party like that. Um, and, and also, it, it, John chapter 12 tells us that the by this time in Jesus' ministry, the, the, the religious leaders like the Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes, they had already put this sort of ultimatum out that said, hey, you don't hang out with Jesus. If you know where Jesus is, tell us where he is because we're coming after him. So you wouldn't have had a Pharisee uh, hosting Jesus so blatantly like that in the, in a town like Bethany, so close to Jerusalem. So that's those, you know, the Simons are a little different there. Um, you also, the, the fact that the Luke chapter seven account occurs in Galilee, which is in the Northern part of Palestine. This happened in Bethany, which is just outside of Jerusalem in the Southern part of Palestine. Samaria was in between those two. So two different locations indicate that these were probably two different anointings. And, and then finally you had the woman, involved. The woman in, in Luke chapter 7 is clearly identified as, as a woman of a bad reputation. <laughs> of Ill, she was a woman of ill repute, if they use the old-fashioned term. And so, you know, she was she was a whole different thing. That's the, the Simon there, the Pharisee Simon, was very uh, appalled that Jesus would even let her touch him or be around him. If he was such a great religious leader, he, he would have he would have completely dissed her, but uh, he didn't. And so we know that she she, at least in that area where she lived, had a very bad reputation, very sketchy kind of person. Um, and then, of course, in John, in John chapter 12, we have Mary identified as the one doing the anointing. And she never had a reputation like that. She was one of Jesus' closest friends, one of Jesus' closest followers, uh, came from a family of followers with Martha and Lazarus. They had a long history with Jesus. So, uh, you know, you, you have those issues. For me, one of the biggest things is the purpose uh, behind each of those anointings. In John chapter 12, Jesus specifically says that she was anointing, that Mary was anointing him in preparation for his burial. Um, this was something that he saw as sort of prophetic, something that he saw as, as an act of worship, an act of honor. We don't get that in Luke chapter 7. Uh, in fact, in Luke chapter 7, Jesus used it as an opportunity to teach about forgiveness and who is, you know, who is supposed to be uh, who are we supposed to forgive? Who you know? Who needs forgiveness more than anybody else? And of course, the Pharisee in that case, who was hosting the dinner, needed the forgiveness more than anybody else, but he was rejecting it. So it really doesn't have anything to do with his baptism. It has more to do with the act of forgiveness. And so when you look at all those kind of factors, there might be a couple of similarities that you could point to, but by and large, I think we're looking at two different anointings. Yeah, the... the uh... Group plans points to chapter or points us to uh, pack item eleven, and when we we're talking about this particular verse, and 
the handout about first century Sabbath laws, providing that to the group and let them look at that. Then they can see a little bit more of the significance of why this, uh, uh, why John noted that this was on the Passover, which would have been at this point on the Sabbath, and why it would have been much more controversial for it to even be included in the story and, and an action that took place on that at that time. Yeah, I think even a look at um, at Jesus's response to the actual act that's a pretty big difference in both of the um, both of the gospel accounts in the in the Luke account he um, he really puts the focus on like Bob said earlier on on forgiveness he says your 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 sins are forgiven I tell you her many sins have been forgiving that's why she loved me, but the one who's forgiven little loves little. And so none of that is included in the John account. And so it does, it would be easy to kind of get these confused, but there's so many differences that, um, that it's, it's better just to understand them as separate, separate events. Yeah. The, the Luke account doesn't even give you an indication that there was some kind of opposition. Uh, you know, right. John chapter 12 is very, you know, Judas speaks up and pipes up and says, hey, this doesn't, you know, why there wasn't yeah. this sold. And, and you don't get any of that in Luke chapter seven. So yeah. you're right. You're right, Amber. The, the, even the responses of Jesus in those in yeah. both of those cases point to, to two separate anointings. He doesn't mention Lazarus and he would have just been healed. So there's yes. there's several things that seem yeah. to be missing. How do we reconcile Judas being trusted with the money and but Jesus being all knowing. The the simple answer is I don't know. Uh, yeah. you know that's, that's part of it because <laughs> we're we're arguing from silence, which is always dangerous when you when you get into scripture. But I think there's a couple of things we can think about. Number one, this is not really a challenge to Jesus' omniscience, which is sort of what people will point to and say, Well, how could Jesus do this if he knew everything? How could he pick up somebody like this and, and let him do this? Uh, but you know, Jesus knew who Jesus knew who Judas was. Uh, he makes it clear, especially as we go farther in. This is our first session in this this quarter of of this part of John. As we go through, we're going to see Jesus points to Judas and says, "Hey, I know exactly who you are. I know exactly what you're going to do. I know exactly why you are part of my little crew." And so, you know, it's not like Jesus was caught by surprise and said, oh, my gosh, I've got a thief among me, among my group, my followers. He knew exactly what was going on. He knew that, that Judas was the one who was going to betray him. And so it's really not a challenge to his omniscience. Um, and it's also, I think it's interesting to remember that this is not the first time that God had ever used somebody with a um, with a character flaw <laughs> to, mm -hmm. to fulfill his purpose. Scripture is full. Of, of situations where God used whoever he wanted to use. Uh, most notably, we, you know, is, is when, when he was wanting to punish uh, Israel and Judah in the Old Testament, he used Assyria and then he used Babylon, who are not godly nations. They weren't godly people, but he still used them for his purposes. Um, so it's not unusual necessarily for God to take somebody who has made a choice uh, voluntarily to, to willingly to to turn from him and still use him for or that person use that person for his honor for his glory for his purposes for his his plans uh, so that's you know that's that's unusual as well but I really think that when you look at Judas he's really a, a cautionary tale uh, he's a warning for us about going through the motions um, 
Judas had Judas had done everything that everybody else had done. He had heard all the sermons. He had seen all the miracles. He had gone out with the other disciples on on occasion and and witnessed and preached and maybe even performed miracles himself. Uh, so he had everything, but something inside of him was just ritualistic. Something inside of him just was just going through the motions, doing what he thought he was going to do. And some scholars will say that he, more than any of the other disciples, he really struggled with this fact that the Messiah was not what he thought the Messiah ought to be. And maybe that's why he even betrayed Jesus to begin with was because, you know, he was hoping to force Jesus's hand, force him to become more messianic according to his own interpretation so you know judas had that that uh, in him and so it's a, it's a warning to us as much as anything else that if we don't if we aren't careful about making sure that we have this connection this this ongoing vibrant relationship with god we can get stuck in a rut we can go through the motions and we can end up letting uh, our darker sides really have an influence over us that doesn't that doesn't need to happen that, that god never intended to happen so, you know, I, I was at a, uh, we're, we're recording this on a Monday. Uh, and so yesterday I was in church, good, good Baptist boy. I was in church like I was supposed to be. And uh, the, uh, the, uh, the worship leader at our church sang a song. I'd never heard it before. I, he's, he's a songwriter, so he may have written it and, and just was performing it. But the song, the, the main line of the song was religion isn't working anymore. And the idea is that you, Instead of going for religion, you, you you invest in this personal, ongoing, vibrant relationship with Christ. But I think that's what Jesus was. He was stuck in religion, and religion just wasn't working for him anymore. And so, you know, it just we have to be careful about our, that ourselves because it, it can happen to us just as easily as it happened to him. Yeah, I have to say, in my uh, study of this passage, um, Judas uh, got a lot of my attention. Uh, if you look at how Jesus responded to Judas and how the other disciples responded to him, it's very interesting. So as you said, Jesus knew him fully, knew his heart. Uh, the other gospel writers, of course, they're writing it after the events took place, but they regularly include two details about Judas, like almost every single time. He was one of the 12 and he was the one who betrayed Jesus. And so that sort of became a tagline for him. And I'm like, well, okay, he earned that, but goodness. Uh, and, but then we know um, at, at the same time, like what you said, it's like, okay, at one point was his heart not in the right place. And then it just veered right off. <laughs> it just veered right off into not uh, honoring the Lord and not, um, being obedient so how how does that happen exactly uh and i'm like oh it happens pretty easily i think <laughs> if you're if you're not super careful it happens pretty easily and so uh he he got a lot of my attention in preparing for this yeah and i think i was, I was just going to add that if you look at the disciples they all had their moral flaws they all had their yeah. problems they all had their issues judas is just happened to be greed and selfishness and, and whatever else he displayed their betrayal lack of loyalty but each of them had their own struggles up until they completely surrendered surrendered to christ after the crucifixion and into the day of pentecost you see the contrast here bob between mary and judas in this this passage we see even, even our group plants um talk about us creating a, a a chart 
and labeling one Mary and one Judas, and then leading our group to do, to add descriptive words that illustrate the attitudes of both Mary and Judas found in this passage. We may want to look at other passages too, direct them to the parallel passages, then uh, where they could add additional insights uh, about both Mary and Judas. E even the key doctrine for this lesson is tied to that exercise, where we look at, at stewardship and how that is seen in both Mary and Judas at this point. But having brought that up, let's, let's think about the generational impact that Jesus predicts for Mary. Help us think through that. Even it, it's it's in one of the parallel passages, really. Yeah, yeah, it's really. Uh, um, it doesn't, as you mentioned, it's not brought out as well in in, in John chapter twelve, but Jesus basically says that everything that. From from here on out, anyone who knows about my story is going to know about Mary and what she did on this on this particular day. And I mean, who doesn't want Jesus to say that about them? <laughs> you know that that you know, wow, I'm going to be remembered for something I did for Jesus. Um, we all want to be we all want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. It's part of our human nature. And as believers, that's not necessarily a bad ambition. We we do want to be we want to leave a legacy. We want to we want to build something that's going to last. Um, and so, you know, to have him say that about Mary and, and the fact that she was going to create this kind of legacy that was going to last for generations. And he, she did, because we're talking about her today. This is 2000, you know, 2022, 2023. Um, we're talking about her thousands of years later. Um, and so it's, it's amazing that, that, that that's a potential for all of us, that all of us can leave a legacy that's going to last. Now, the trick is to making sure that you approach it with the right attitude. Mary didn't go in looking to make a name for herself. She didn't go into the situation trying to be famous. She went in humbly. She went in uh, sacrificially. She went in as a servant. Uh, she went in as a worshiper. And really, that's how you build a reputation. That's how you build a legacy spiritually is by being a servant. Uh, specifically being a servant of Christ, but that leads you to obviously serve others as you do it. Uh, talking about contrast, uh, think about the legacy, the, the contrast and the legacy between Mary and, and Judas. Mary, they both built legacies. They both built, uh, they both, they both la have, have a name that lasts longer than themselves, right? Oh, uh, it's just Mary, yeah. Mary's is, Mary's is much more positive. And it's something to to strive for, something to try to attain uh, humbly, if you can do that, uh, attain it humbly uh, in our generation. Whereas Judas is much more negative, and, and nobody's naming. A lot of people are naming their kids Mary. Not too many are naming their kids Judas. You know, <laughs> my wife's name is Mary. I'm proud of that. You know, she's probably glad my name's not Judas. So it, it's just we are going to realistically, we're all probably going to leave some kind of legacy. Uh, it's almost inevitable. Yeah. Uh, it's just what kind we're going to leave. And I would prefer to to try to follow Mary's example and, and be a humble servant who is willing to make a sacrifice for my my Savior yeah. and leave a legacy that way uh, than to 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 be a betrayer. Well, and to and to recognize Jesus is he he's worthy of our worship. Uh, he's worthy of being followed. He's worthy of any honor and glory that we can we can give to him he's really worth worthy of even more than what we we can give and so i i saw that part and thought okay so anytime we think 
perhaps our worship is not seen or recognized by him. That is, that is just false. Uh, he absolutely sees it and is honored. Um, and this is a good, a good example we can point to, to say, oh yeah, Jesus saw that. He, he saw that and not only saw it, said this is, she's going to be known for this worship, uh, among other things for, 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 for a very long time. So it's, Bob, uh, there is a lot of contrast in this verse too. I mean, you've, we've already looked at Mary and Judas, but you also have Jesus and the religious leaders. Um, yeah. Help us think through that. Get a clear picture of the that that uh, that contrast there as well. Yeah, this was a long time coming. This was this was not an overnight kind of thing where they just kind of got kind of got mad and got pouty and 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 just you know kind of had a bad attitude all at once. This has been building. And so, um, you know, they were already trying to kill Jesus. Uh, they already wanted to kill him. They were probably already putting the wheels into motion. Judas just had not come to them yet and, and made the final offer that sealed the deal. But now, you know, they're looking at, they're looking now at, at, at Lazarus as a target too, because they're so insecure, you know, and that's really, it is amazing to look to see, you know, here's Jesus who has it under control. Of course, he's God, so he has everything under control. He's sovereign. He's, he knows exactly what's going to happen. Nothing's going to surprise him. But he was just completely committed to the Father's plan, to the Father's work. Uh, again, we're, we'll see in other parts of John where he says, you know, I don't do anything on my own. I do everything that the Father tells me to do. Uh, and, and anything that I do is, is, is what the Father shows me, what the Father tells me. So he, you know, he, he knew what was going on. He had under control. These, these other guys, they had an agenda as well. But they they were threatened. They didn't have that kind of security that they were in the right, that they were moving forward to a goal and a purpose the way Jesus did. And so they were threatened. Any little thing that that created an obstacle that that opposed them, that uh, that questioned their authority, they reacted violently. And you know, Jesus Jesus was going to become the the center and the focus of that very very soon after this, but just within a week or so after this, but even Lazarus, who, you know, all he did was get raised from the dead. He didn't ask for it. You know, he, yeah. and it wasn't like he planned any of this. He, he, did, he died and he got raised and, you know, all of a sudden because of that, and, and, went, and he went to a party, you know, and became kind of a, sort of a public spectacle. None of his own doing, but yet these people reacted so violently because he was a threat to them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this, uh, that's the big distinction between these folks is that you have Jesus on one side, he was completely committed, completely on board, completely secure in who he is and what he's going to do. And these other guys who are just running around like chickens with their head cut off, afraid of losing influence, afraid of losing position and power. And instead of looking inward and saying, gee, is there something wrong with me? <laughs> is there something I should be doing differently instead of doing that they look for outside targets which is sort of human nature sometimes i had a discussion yesterday uh, with folks in my bible study group about religious persecution and how much of the persecution found in the old testament and in the time of jesus here as well this is why i'm bringing this up was done and carried out by religious leaders or believers, quote unquote believers, people who should be believers. Let me rephrase that. People who should be a part of the kingdom of God, the family of God. But they were either disobedient 
uh, you know, uh, or they rejected uh, the covenant or whatever. But you see that, for example, you know, with Jeremiah, um, the, the, the persecution Jeremiah endured was from his own people, not from pagans, but from folks who should have known better. And you see that again here. Uh, in the life of Jesus. It's the religious leaders, the people who should have accepted him, who are persecuting him, as opposed to we think of, like in our world, it's pagans who are opposed to Christianity. They're just opposed to Jesus here, but they weren't opposed to God uh, at this point in history. Um, Bob, you have any other key ideas or thoughts you'd share about this passage? I think there's one thing that uh, that could come up in a class that our leaders probably need to think about. And that is this idea of the poor you have with you always. Um, was Jesus dissing the poor? <laughs> and the answer is no. And I think our, our materials do a really a really good job, both in the personal study guide and the leader guides and, and the other issues, the quick source and, and the digital discipleship guide. I think we all, in each of those, we, we make a point to say that no, Jesus understood the Old Testament teachings about taking care of the poor. He, obviously, he, he loved everyone. He cared about everyone. In many cases, the poor were the ones that he you know, had a special heart for, it seemed like. Uh, the, those who were outcasts, those who were disadvantaged, those who were abused or manipulated, uh, he had a special heart for those. What he was telling Judas at the time was, you are going to have a lot more opportunities to help these poor folks down the road. And really, he was saying, don't talk to me about this while your heart the way it is because you know you're not speaking from a you're not speaking truth so if you were assuming you were speaking truth which you're not understand that you're going to have this opportunity a lot i'm only going to be around for another week before i'm crucified then i'm only going to be around another 40 days before i ascend to the father so and while i will always be with you and i will send the spirit for you you're not going to have these physical momentary opportunities in you know, in time to, to do what Mary has done for me, to honor me the way Mary has honored me. So don't, don't criticize this opportunity that she's taken. Don't, uh, don't diminish it. Don't diss it. Don't, you know, question it. Maybe, maybe all the example. Uh, and then, you know, spend all the time you can helping the poor the rest of the time. But don't, but don't diminish this opportunity because this is significant. Any teaching ideas, Amber, that you would share with us, the tips that you see that we may, that may be helpful for us as teachers this week? Yeah, there's a really good one, I think, available if, if you're, if you have the leader pack, um, pack item number seven is especially good. It's a handout and it's a timeline um, basically that spans John's life and it gives it gives some key uh, events and dates of um, just just prior to his birth until his death and I think it's really valuable it helps uh, put things into context of what what is happening uh, around this this uh, time period that we're studying and so it's really valuable it's a one-page handout if you have access to the leader pack that might be a valuable thing to make copies of for your group members or to even just um, uh, send send out if you have like a, an email or some sort of digital way that you connect with your group members. It's it's a very uh, 
succinct but helpful tool. Amber, thanks for that reminder about teaching today. Uh, how, how can our listeners get in touch with you? We've been giving them my email, but let's give them your email now. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. Yeah, so we, it would be. <laughs> Don't we give appreciate, them my email. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and Bob. Uh, we appreciate everyone listening today. Uh, we hope that it has been helpful to you in your personal preparation to lead your group. Uh, if you have comments or questions, you're always welcome to send an email to me at amber.vaden at lifeway.com. That is A-M-B-E-R dot V as in Victor, A-D-E-N at lifeway.com. And I will do my best to answer your question or find find it for you. Um, we, uh, like we said, we appreciate you listening uh, and we invite you to join us next week as we look at session two. Yeah, Bill Craig will be joining us next week as we look at, the, at John chapter 12, verses 20 through 33. Thank you all for being with us. And we look forward to being with you again next week.